It's the Bob McCallum Podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today with John Shannon as per usual. Hey, 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 hey. What? Nice shirt. Uh, Stanley Cup champions, right? Now you're wearing your Vegas Golden Knights free gift from George McPhee. That's right. Where's yours? It's in I've the never closet. seen you wear it. I, I, you know, I got I to gotta watch that stuff. I wear it. I just don't wear it on the show. Oh, why not? Because I'd have to wear other, you know, five other teams that have given me the free stuff. Well, I have no no other team gave me anything. I, well, this is the only piece I've got. So, and McPhee is a loyal. He's loyal to you, Bob. We know that for sure. So, well, hopefully he joins us later in the week, uh, and uh, we get a chance to talk to him about uh, their Stanley Cup. And we <laughs> if, will. Do- if he if he had if he hasn't slept by then, I'm not sure. Well, I'm guessing he won't have. <laughs> um, but it was it was pretty dramatic. Like oh, yeah. the the way they won was so convincing. It was uh, it, it, you know, it was it wasn't dramatic from that standpoint. But I tell you what, the part it, it was almost like going to a party and being able, if you were a Golden Knights fan, either inside the arena or outside the arena, you partied all night long. You didn't party for like thirty seconds in overtime. No, I know you partied all night long, and it was really it was kind un- of special to watch. It was unbelievable how many people were outside the arena. Yeah, and those are the locals, Bob. Those are. Well, the I know. Locals. I know who they are, and I've been in that in that courtyard. It's pretty big. Yeah, it's um, it, it had to be at least double, maybe triple the number of people who that are outside the uh, the Toronto arena. Yeah, or either a, either a regular season or a playoff game, or a basketball a game, yeah. massive or a basketball game. It was a massive, massive crowd. In any event, a uh, big weekend golf. We had a big week last week with uh, Nick Taylor winning the Canadian Open. We'll talk about that. But this week is the United States Open in Los Angeles. Richard Zokel and Ian Leggett will join us, and we'll talk about last week, this week, and also the uh, the combination of the tours mm. uh, uh, in the, on the PGA. Uh, all that coming up next, back after this. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the Bet Rivers Sports and Casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options. And get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com. Well, a little golf today, Shani, and... um not uh, half of this at least will be something that we had no idea we were going to do when we booked these guests. <laughs> it's uh, Zokel and, and Lego are uh, with us. And uh, we do this, as people know, usually right before, right after, sometimes a, a major championship. We had no idea that a Canadian, Nick Taylor, was going to win the Canadian Open. 
uh, this past Sunday. And uh, I'm really intrigued to hear what, what these two guys, both of whom tried to win this championship in their own country, feel about this. Uh, Sokol, you and Taylor are, are pals, at least know each other, right? Sure. Yeah. 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 And, and, uh, Lego knows him quite well as well because he, uh, he, uh, got him as his first client, I think when you were in the agency business, but yeah, Nick Taylor is a BC boy from Ledgeview. Um, my boys played junior golf with him and, uh, he separated himself from other juniors in British Columbia when he was about 16 and he took off like a rocket and, um, Went to NCAA program, best amateur on the planet. Got on the PGA Tour. It's not so, it, when you know if you know Nick, you know that he's got a very stable mind and perspective, and uh, it's not surprising. It's a uh, you know uh, it's it's a, it was a great story, and uh, hey, lots to talk about with this because this thing's been this curse of Pat Fletcher's been going on for far too long. No, I know that. Those Dan Halderson says, though, uh, you know, Dan Halderson says we're not the tallest midget anymore. <laughs> I yeah. hated that comment. Always hated that comment. <laughs> I wore Dan out for him. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah, we all did. It's, tough, it's tough enough as it is out here being three or four Canadian. Exactly. But, uh, yeah. Uh, Leggett, Leggett, you and I were members at the same golf course uh, just north of Toronto, Goodwood. Uh, if I'm not mistaken... Uh, Nick Taylor was out there at least once. Did you invite him out there? Yep. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, when I first started, as Oak said, I started at Wasserman and I had an inline very early on with my relationship with Nick, just playing Canadian Open practice rounds with him when he was, you know, a Canadian amateur champion. That was something that Weirzy and I, uh, you know, sort of did every single year during the Canadian Open. We always reached out to, you know, that Canadian amateur champion that, qualified for to play in the rbc canadian open i guess back then it would have been bell and whatever else it was called um and we'd always play a practice round on tuesday morning with them and so we played with nick and it was interesting because when i started at wasserman we had a big debate internally amongst the agents um with our executive team on who do we recruit nick taylor or Matt Hill. So Nick Taylor was number one amateur in the world. Um, and that spring semester, Matt Hill had, you know, one of the greatest college semesters uh, in NCAA golf. Um, so there was a big debate internally, fortunately for Wasserman, I guess, I'm still waiting on my gift from them. Uh, I won that, uh, I won that Sorry. debate and we recruited, actually put all our um, you know, efforts into recruiting Nick Taylor, which became a Wasserman client. So um, as, as Zoke said, he's a very grounded, comes from a very uh, stable family background. I think what's kind of tipped the table here for Nick is just his true belief in himself. It's hard to believe that, again, this stems back to our Canadian mentality, I think, in, in certain uh, respects is um, stepping forward and really believing you can be the best. And I think this victory came from that. It sounds like Dave Markle, his caddy, has um, you know contributed to that belief. It sounds like Nick has given him a lot of credit and Nick having the belief in himself. Um, and I think that needs to be the case with a lot of our Canadian guys. I think Taylor Pendrith is in that same camp. As soon as he believes he's a great player, He's going to start, they'll all start winning on tour. And yeah. I think that's a Canadian issue. We have all watched hundreds, thousands of golf tournaments in our careers. You know, we're all fans of the game. Um, 
Have you ever seen a tournament concluded in the drama that this one did with a putt as long as the one that Taylor made on the fourth playoff hole? I don't remember one. I don't remember a shot as dramatic as that. Can either of you? Well, I think I think we've seen some playoffs. I mean, we saw the the Craig Perry hole out at Doral. Mm-hmm. You know, he hold it from the fairway against Scott for Plank. I mean, but I don't think it had the gravity of the storyline. No, right? No, did not. Have. Not even close. Obviously, yeah. but I mean, obviously, we've had some, we've seen some unbelievable finishes with, um, you know, hole outs on eighteen to win tournaments. But I think the storyline. Um, this particular week with everything with live the PJ tour stealing the story from RBC two years in a row. Um, And really when you looked on that leaderboard, I was talking to someone that about the other day, it could not have been better. Mm -hmm. The quality players in the field were on the top of that leaderboard going into Sunday. The field was weak. Let's be honest. So, but the quality players, the Rory McIlroy, CT Pan, Tommy Fleetwood, you know, we had Corey Connors that the quality players were in the right spot and a Canadian winning this thing in the fashion they did uh, was incredible. And and Zoe can speak to it. We talk, we talk about it. Every commentator will talk about it on the PGA Tour every single week. How difficult it is to follow up a serious low round like he put up on Saturday with a, with a follow-up with a decent round. round. Yeah, exactly. And he did it. And he did yep. it. So, uh, you know, I'm happy for RBC. I'm happy for Canadian golf. And more than happy, I'm happy for, you know, guys like Zoke and I and, you know, Dave Bars and the Dan Haldersons mm-hmm. and the Ray Stewarts and the st- line goes on and on and on that, you know, every year we went into this week with hopes and aspirations of ending the drought. And, uh, you know, to actually be alive to see it was a mm-hmm. special moment for me. R- Richard, how difficult is it to and I'm talking about the mental side of the game, how difficult is it to walk up 18 at a Canadian Open with a huge gallery and try to hit a shot or make a putt? Uh, well, it's it's not that difficult to do it in the tournament. It's difficult to do it with the lead of the tournament on Sunday is, is the big difference. And and I want to go back to 1984. You know, we're, there's only three or four people on tour. Like, keep in mind, we've had four Canadians win on the PGA Tour this year. So I know, the evolution right? is, is just fantastic. But back to 1984, Jim Hunt, remember Shaky? Everyone sure. knows Shaky. He would, I remember the press conference that he, or he wrote an article that week and he said, Canadians have two chances to win the Canadian Open, slim and none. And, 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 you know, like as Lego said, you know, we were, us Canadians playing there, we're very proud. We want to make a stand. I opened up, and that year I finished tied for fifth. And after the first round, I went in there and said, you know, who says Canadians can't play? You know, we're proud and we don't like to, to be disparaged, particularly by our own. And I had an issue with that. So, and then in 1987, I was, you know, it was a big deal for me to finish uh, tied for fifth that year. Then in 1987, I played well, had the lead going into the final round, tied for the lead with Curtis Strange in 1987. And I had not yet learned how to win at that time. I hadn't won. And I'm standing on the tee, and I see all these Canadian flags down the fairway, and I'm in a position that I've never been in before and, quite frankly, was overwhelmed. It put me off from a comfort level where I couldn't perform the same way as I did in the first three rounds. And I think I'm standing on the first tee, Curtis Strange, the number one player in the world at the time, he knows he's going to win. 
I know he's going to win. And he knows that I know he's going to win. And that, and, and now when you look, then you come through a decade later, Mike Weir wins the masters in 2003. I think today it's safe to say that because of what Mike did there, it's created this snowball in this belief. We now that we have so many Canadians on tour and winning now, what Nick Taylor has done, he's going to be sitting as our nation's icon in sport, in golf, no different than Mike Weir and Wayne Gretzky and Nick Taylor. And 20 years from now, let's see what's going to happen with the Canadian players. Golf Canada is doing an excellent job. And uh, this is a natural, not just an evolution. This is a snowball. So, so Ian, when when you're standing on the tee at, uh, at the rink, I think, what's, I think at, at Oakdale, that was 14. When the gallery's singing, oh, Canada, that doesn't really help. <laughs> <laughs> no. You know, it's funny. Uh, I played the U.S. Open at Bethpage, and I was coming up to the 17th hole on Sunday. And uh, that's a whole long story. I, I will talk about another time with Nick Price and I's, uh, uh, I played with Nick on Sunday there. And um, what happened on that hole with all the volunteers were uh, – family members of 9-11 survivors. And I read an article in the paper that morning. So I was told Nick about it. And we were both very emotional on the tee, but I hit a great shot up there on 17. It was about 210-yard par three at four iron to about three feet. And I'm walking up to the green, and everybody started chanting Gretzky. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, you know, the, the Canadian, um, you know, uh, atmosphere around that hole and hockey, I think it's been perfect. Exactly yeah. what uh, RBC needed to add a, you know, an element of flair to the event. And I think it's really uh, been grasped, uh, you know, wholeheartedly by the fans. And I, I love it. I think it's great for the game. I think it's great for the game in Canada. Um, I have played Oakdale. I assume you two guys have as well at some point in your life. I don't know about Shanny. Have you played Oakdale, Shanny? No, I haven't. No, I can't. You know, I, I I don't know enough members yet. So, and I got and I've got to tell you, <laughs> I I don't know about you guys, but I was I I questioned the golf course. I didn't know whether this was the kind of golf course that the Canadian Open should be at. But I'll tell you, um, I thought it was fantastic. I I loved the narrow fairways and the and the heavy rough. And I know 17 under is a, is a, you know, that's a pretty good score. And in a national open, you know, you maybe like to be in single digits under par, but, but I thought it was a fantastic venue and I'm looking forward to the fact that they'll be back there in a couple of years. What do you guys, what did you guys think of Oakdale? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I've played there a few times. I played the composite course last year when, um, uh, I was up in Toronto and, you know, it's interesting. I, uh, I, I didn't hear the players commentating on how much they liked or disliked it. Players are no, you're right, but they, which means you know. they probably hated it. <laughs> well, maybe. I mean, no, trust me. Yeah. You know, Tyler Hatton's going to tell you whether he likes it or not. So, um, yeah. I think players will express their dislike for a golf course. But I think when you're coming off Hamilton, you're coming off St. George's. I think those are two venues that players love to play, and you know. Zoke can express this too. We play so many TPC type facilities on the PGA tour. Players right. love going to old school, you know, playing at Westchester and Riviera and places like that, that, you know, are a little bit different and a play away from, you know, the typical TPC facilities that they play, you know, that are there to accommodate fans. So I think that aspect of it, um, I think, 
the players having a view of this place. It'll be interesting to see what this looks like the next time around um, because it's going to be, hopefully they get a better date. We'll see what the schedule looks like. I think elevated right. events are going to go away and I, uh, we'll see what the quality of the field looks like next time around. But I didn't hear any comments that anybody loved it. And I didn't hear any comments yeah. anybody hated it. Yeah. I think the, uh, it was a bit on, the, I think it's a step behind um, St. George's and Hamilton. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the 18th hole was a bit quirky. You know, no one really likes mm-hmm. to, you know, hit was very off the tee with, yeah. yeah, in the green and so forth. But it, it worked. You know, it was uh, it was successful, but uh, um, it worked uh, great for the drama of the of the event. Sure, it worked on that aspect for sure. The drama you could have been in the back parking lot if that ball goes in from seventy two feet on the last hole, and it's gonna the drama is gonna be there. It was just it was uh, it was monumental. Yeah, and one thing that the announcers I didn't think emphasized at all because I watched all week. There were more missed, shortish putts putts than I have seen at a golf tournament in a long time. I thought these guys were like befuddled by the greens. Did you feel guys feel the same way? Um, well, no, I, I think, no, no, I, I, no, I don't nothing think so. picked up on any of that stuff. No, I think, I mean, they have a lot of slope on them. They did talk about how the green speeds were slowed down a little bit because, because of the slope, the right? greens but it have make, so much. That should make it easier though. Right. Possibly, but I mean, you know, you could see that there's a lot of, you know, knowing that he played, there's a lot of, you know, tiered areas on that golf course around right. greens where guys had to hit extremely precise wedge shots in there to get it close. So, right. I mean, you get the greens up to 12 and 13 on something like that, they become completely unplayable. So, in that yeah, respect, I think that's where a little bit of the fire was taken out of the golf course, um, but that doesn't make it any easier. Right. So, so Bob and I talked about on 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 Monday uh, how much we you know we had angst, particularly in the playoff. I'd love to know what you two guys were doing watching when you saw Nick start the playoff with Tommy Westwood. What what, what was that like for you guys to watch, and and then the drama of them getting back on the cart and going back to the tee to start again, Ian? Yeah, for me, I mean, I was sitting in the airport in Raleigh. I was at my son's uh, high school graduation this past weekend. So um, I sat in the airport watching it on my phone. And, um, you know, for me, it was it reminded me a lot. It's interesting because I was injured the last time when Weirsy won in 2003. And I was sitting at home watching that with a cast on my hand. So um, I felt the same way. I really did. I felt the same kind of nervousness. Um, hope that I had um, of watching Mike at Augusta in 2003 felt exactly the same. I wish I was, I was there to be able to be there to celebrate with everybody. Cause I think for, like I said, it means as much to me, trust me as it, and I, I'm sure Zope feels the way to watch a Canadian win this as it did for Weirsy win at Augusta. I, I, yeah. I, I think it's equally as important in my time of watching golf as a Canadian, no different than watching Brooke Henderson win majors on the LPJ tour. Yeah. I, I think, think for us, because we're a young. small group of really tight knit, close people um, to this day, all the guys on tour, you know, I still text and communicate with to all the old guys between Zoak and, you know, Steve, Stephen Ames, when he wins, I'm texting him, congratulating him. We keep in touch. So I think we're a tight network. We're a family. And I think we live and breathe those victories and defeats, uh, you know, equally amongst ourselves. Richard, I 
I look at this as, uh, you know, this is, uh, and I call it the curse of Pat Fletcher. And the reason why I say the curse of Pat Fletcher, which is no different than the curse of the Bambino as it relates to the Red Sox. Pat Fletcher, you know, was born in England. So I think the, la the last Canadian born player to win, I think goes back to 1917 or something like that. Yeah. But what, what it done is, as Lego was talking about, those of us who stood in that gauntlet and addressed those questions every year. I played in 26 Canadian Opens, and it was a question in my very first one. It was a question in my very last one. And I'm kind of going, okay, is this going to happen in my lifetime? And, 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 and so the fact that Nick did it, and, and, and I got calls, I got calls from Clay Edwards down in Houston, my coach. And he goes, you know, you must feel so proud at your participation in this. Um, I had a person walk up to me at Predator Ridge and say, congratulations. And I go, what, what's that for? He said, being, you know, walking in that gauntlet to fight that, that stand. To, and now that it has happened, it must be very gratifying. And I went, absolutely. It, it, it's exactly what it feels like. So it's a, it's, it's a special moment. Yeah. Well, well, there were 21 Canadians in the, in the, in the RBC this year, and there are seven playing this week at the LA country club uh, in the U S open. Uh, so it's uh, the growth of the game that you guys were a big part of. It, it must be. And, and as you mentioned, Mike Weir with the masters win, for both of you, it must be satisfying to see where the game has gone and, and where, where the game is going. You know, I think, I think the, the, the turning point to all of this was, you know, I think there, there's different aspects and points to it. But when Golf Canada decided that they were going to continue with the road post-amateur golf to start developing players, and when they – hired Derek Ingram, Tristan Mullally, and started putting funding. When I was on the, became, when they, when they put the board of the Golf Canada Foundation together, which I was part of, and a key aspect of my role in that was putting the funding and structuring the funding. How do we take care of the Corey Connors and Adam Hadwins of, of the world when they turn professional um, and keep funding them so that we can reap the benefits of the money that we put behind them as amateurs to continue that, uh, you know, goal of putting them on the PGA and the LPGA tour, change the, the dynamic of who we are as a golf organization in Canada. Um, very similar to what Australia and Sweden do. Um, and I, and, and Weirs and I had this conversation many, many times with Stephen Ross when he was the executive director of the RCGA is how do we help these kids post amateur golf? And the conversation back then was we're an amateur golf association, not a professional golf association where, um, you know, which is crazy. And I think that when golf Canada finally took the turn that changed the, uh, you know, the dynamic of who we are as a golf organization, developing great players. And this is where we are today and it's not going to stop. And when Nick, guys like Nick Taylor and Corey Connors are winning, we got four guys that have won and Brooke Henderson's and, you know, we're yeah. going to see more and more young women on the LPGA tour. We see the benefits, more and more funding is going to come in and seeing that, Hey, this is, we're actually seeing right, exactly. the rewards of this. Right. Absolutely. Um, I, I must tell you this, that as, as uh, Taylor uh, lined up his 72 foot putt, there was a camera shot of uh, Lawrence Applebaum, who's the head of Golf Canada, and uh, 
a bunch of Canadian guys, all the guys from the tour that we know, standing at the back of the 18th green watching this. And I was a little surprised. I was a little surprised by this. Were you guys? That is it normal to stick around, especially if you have one of your own. Well, we're seeing that more and more. You know, uh, we're 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 seeing that's happening. It 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 didn't. There there wasn't a lot of that in our day, but more and more, and the more meaningful these victories at major championships, we're seeing countrymen like. you know the the English people were there for Tommy at the same time, and yeah, and, I guess and, so. And yeah, the, you know, so it's it's uh, it's not unusual to see that today. It's I think it's a part of uh, the PGA Tour now, depending on on how big these events are in, in major championships. Uh, there's a lot of support. Okay, how do we get a better date? One well, of the things that's going to come. <laughs> yeah, one of the, let me jump in. I, I want to talk about RBC, and I think that um, you know. This moment that Nick Taylor, a Canadian winning an RBC Canadian Open, it, w- it turned to be very fortuitous for RBC. In the last two years, there have been a lot of distraction that took away from the value of the RBC Canadian Open. A year ago, when, when the Live players announced, like Dustin Johnson, that they, 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 they you know, it disrupted the, the media aspect a year ago. Then this year, with the announcement on Tuesday, it disrupted it. But... There just seems to be so much, so much justice that RBC and and I was thinking that RBC may not be around. They've had a long tenure in this as now. If they wanted to get out of the PGA Tour, they had a moral uh, reason to do so. But yeah. now that RBC stuck around and and is going to be branded with uh, as the sponsor with the first Canadian to win since 1954. That value cannot be replicated. That is tremendous for the R- RBC, and they deserve it. What, do that you think that do you think RBC will, you know, stick it to the tour and say, look at you know we sponsor two events, we are one of the biggest sponsors on the tour, you know we need we need some help with the Canadian Open, and maybe monetarily, and we need a good date. Do you think, I think that? I think they'll you, leverage to the best of their bill abilities, and now they have more reasons to stick around. Yeah, you think to be successful, Lego. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, they've been doing this for years. Let's, let's, I mean, the power uh, that certain sponsors have over the schedule is very limited. Uh, or this this event would not have happened. It got here. We have, you know, I mean, they elevated the RBC Heritage, um, and then they sandwiched this event in between an elevated and a major, which it really it was it. dead in the water Kills before it. it started. So, yeah, sure. Um, you know, and that's why I said they got very, very fortunate in the way this played out. Right. And they deserved it. I mean, if there's anything to do Agreed. with karma, they, they proved the point this week. But that being said, we don't know where the tour is going. Um, we don't. Does Jay Monahan have much say in what this schedule looks like next year. We don't know what the elevated events, if there's going to be any, is every event on the PJ tour going to be $20 million next year. We have no idea how this whole thing is going to unpack. And until we know exactly the direction the tour is going, we can only um, really kind of guess at where the RBC Canadian open will be positioned next year. Do they deserve a great date? Yes. Is this a great storyline? Yes. Does RBC uh, contribute more than probably anybody to the game of golf and the PGA tour as far as a corporate sponsor? Yes. So everything is aligned. Right. Yeah. So what, 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 what would a good date be? That's a completely different thing. 
what would a good date be? Well, that's a, that's a big question, isn't it? Well, I think uh, two weeks like, before a major championship and an, yeah. ele- and an ele- elevated purse. Mm-hmm. That's it. I mean, they were they were struggling mm-hmm. this year. I mean, they got away with it last year because, you know, there were no elevated events. U.S. Open was directly, you know, down the street in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, so funding players to be able to come and tee it up in the RBC Canada Open was easy. Um, you know, one of the things that bothers me about this has always bothered me about this is – the player's moral position in accepting money to play in tour events. Okay. Tony Finau, and I'm going to use him. Tony Finau is a wonderful guy. He has been paid to play in the RBC Canadian open year after year after year. And this year, the LA, because it's in LA, the US Open, he's got to do what's right for his career and his best ability to play great in a major championship. No Tony Finau this year. Okay. And I, I just have a as an problem. RBC ambassador. Is that what you're meaning? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I just have a problem with that. Sure. I just, you know, in the early days when the PGA tour gives these exemptions to guys like Bryson DeChambeau as a rookie, not even a rookie using one of his seven exemptions on the PGA tour to try to get him to, you know, move into a position where he's qualified on the PGA Tour to avoid tour school, and they give him an exemption. He doesn't show up the next year. That pisses me off. I just mm-hmm. find it disrespectful, and uh, you know, I just don't know how the tour can manage and control that. Uh, but and by having a better date, you don't have to worry about it being sandwiched up against a major championship. Right. Yeah. Uh, we gotta take a break. But look at the on the other hand, you have a guy like McElroy. <laughs> who didn't come to this tournament for a long time, came here one twice, and then came this year, the week before the U.S. Open. I mean, I think that's a, that's a, that's a good thing for him to do and a nice thing for him to do. And who knows? I suspect he'll, he'll come every year from now on, but we'll see. we got to take a break. We're halfway done. Leggett and Zokel are with us back after this. Spring is here, and so are the long days, warm weather, and yard work. If you're anything like me, then you know how easy it is to get behind on your spring to-do list. But Factor is here to help. The number one ready-to-eat meal kit can help you fuel up fast with ready-to-eat meals delivered right to your door, saving you time to get the things you need to do done. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. We offer delicious, flavor-packed options on the menu each week to fit a variety of lifestyles like keto to calorie smart, vegan, or veggie. With over 34 chef-prepared, dietitian-approved weekly options, there's always something new to try. With Factor, you can rest assured you're making a sustainable choice. Head to factormeals.com bobcast50 and use code bobcast50 to get 50% off of your first box. That's code BOBCAST50 at factormeals.com slash BOBCAST50 to get 50% off of your first box. We spent the first half of this conversation talking almost exclusively about Nick Taylor's victory at the Canadian Open and that championship, but we have a United States Open, the last major, uh, well, not the last major of the year. No, we have the British Open still. Um, and it's at LA Country Club, a place I know nothing about. I have not played there, and I assume you guys have, but I don't know. Um, Three of us have. This is a golf. This is a golf course that really no the fans will know nothing about. I've watched a little bit on the Golf Channel the last couple of days. It looks pretty. Looks very wide open, wide fairways. Um, 
What kind of event are we going to are we going to see? Is this a golf course where you can shoot 60, 61, 62 in a, in a major championship? Or is this going to be one of those places where, you know, one digit under par, you're going to win the thing? Well, if I can jump in, it's going to be a bit of a hybrid, I believe. Not many people know much about L.A. North. We all know that it's a great golf course and, and part of that trifecta that's uh, Bel Air, and Riviera and as well, yeah. you know, that, that uh, George Thomas uh, uh, design, it's, which is phenomenal. I've never played it, uh, but do know based on the rep, its reputation that it's one of the best golf courses in, in the country. But it does appear that it'll be somewhat of a hybrid, like in, in if I can use the analogy between, say, Winged Foot and, and Pinehurst. Um, I think it's uh, they can they can make it. Uh, there's no reason why it's going to be any easier. It could be easier. It depends on how the USGA sets it up. So I'm looking for something that's going to be a little lower number than your typical than say a winged foot type of a US Open. Um, it's interesting what they're going to do. They have a couple of par threes that are longer than one of their par fours. Well, they have a par three that's 297, right? Yeah. Yeah, and they go drivable par, par fours that are shorter than that. So, yeah. uh, and, and, and they're going to play shorter than that. It's going to be interesting. Uh, I think it's going to be very exciting, and I'm looking for it to be uh, uh, one of the top U.S. Opens uh, um, productions. It's going to be great. One of, one of the things I've heard about it is that they could tuck <laughs> the pins in ridiculous places. Oh yeah, they can make it. They can make it as difficult as they want. They have that capability, and there's always running up to that fine line. Um, I, I love U.S. Opens. It's my favorite major. And, uh, and, and what happens often, I think Lego will probably talk about it, but uh, you know, when you run up against that line, sometimes you cross that line and that's what right. drives of course. nuts. And, and, and I think that's what I love about the U.S. Open. And have you played yeah. LA Country Gold? Yeah, about a year ago, actually. I played, had two oh, days really? there. Yeah. And it's uh, it's different. It's very different in uh, in the respect that and Rory McIlroy touched on it in an interview yesterday. And I think he's right. It, it's got Seminole. It's got Oakmont. It's got Wingfoot all all on all 18 holes. And, you know, you've got that 280, 90 yard par three. And then you've got an, uh, another par three that even the players are saying is equally as difficult from 80 yards. So, <laughs> yes, um, that's right. <laughs> so that's going to um, that And it is, I, I, I played there and then 36 holes, I, I made a four and a five on an 80 yard bar three because <laughs> you miss the green on that hole. It's almost impossible to get it up and down. So um, the golf course is playing extremely firm and this is what, I like to see at a major at any tournament for that matter. I think that's what separates great ball strikers is being able to manage the golf ball on the ground. And I think that that gets missed a lot on the PGA tour um, with just the softness and Hey, we can't control that sometimes. Um, I think uh, especially, you know, a couple of years ago at at St. George's where, you know, actually more than that, I guess it was when, uh, when uh, Peterson won, I mean, that golf course was playing very firm and fast and they got massive amounts of range. And then the guys started just shooting sixties and 61s. So you can't control that, but it sounds like this is going to be a very firm, fast week. Um, I think it plays in the hands of a very capable ball striker. And I think because of the firmness is going to take away the advantage the longer players have on this golf course, mm-hmm. because um, I think driving in the fairway is going to play a huge precedence here. Greens are very, very tricky. 
very, there's a lot of pitch to them, a lot of quadrants you got to hit it into. Um, and I think you're going to see, you may shoot, you may see some 63s and fours and fives, possibly. I just don't see it playing out that way for all four days. So I'm yeah. still seeing, would like to see a single digit under par win at, at this tournament, but I think it brings in a lot of different players and, you know, if you're asking for great picks, I think you got to look at great ball strikers. Mm-hmm. Typically, a U.S. Open, the, 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 in, in my mind, the typical um, things about a U.S. Open, narrow fairways, heavy rough. Mm-hmm. Uh, those, those are the things that you typically see in a U.S. Open design. They grow the rough long, and the fairways are very narrow and tight. It looks like the fairways are really wide at L.A. Country Club, and I didn't – I. I barely saw any rough whatsoever. And you get a little so, of both. Is there a little you of both? Got a little of both in this thing, Bob. I mean, there are some holes. Um, you know, actually, the first four or five holes there are quite narrow. Yeah. And um, you know, so you, you've got a little of both. You get to the back nine; they've got a couple double fairways, sort of like one in eighteen at uh, at St Andrews. So you got a couple holes like that that make the make the fairways very very wide. And right. So you get a little bit of both. The thing that's the the factor I find about this, and uh, and Zoe can speak to this about playing just at Riviera. You don't need a lot of wind on the West Coast to really play havoc with you. I find the winds very, very tricky around Riviera, and it doesn't have to be blowing 30 miles an hour. A 15-mile-an-hour wind at Riviera is a very, very difficult um uh, piece of the factor uh, of a, you know executing great golf shots, and you're going to get that on this place. It sits up. I found the couple of days I played there, it was very, very difficult to figure out the wind direction. So um, that's going to be a key factor. And when you've got a golf course that people have played and don't understand that, like you do at Augusta National, um, I, I think that that's going to play a big, big factor around this place. You know, wind coming off the ocean, it's not far from the ocean. So that ocean no effect will have it. It'll keep the temperatures down, like in the low 70s, which is which is fantastic. And um, the interesting thing also about, um, about the rough it, it is it's, it's Bermuda grass. Mm-hmm. Riviera mm-hmm. has Georgia grass and it's yeah. really weird that, that uh, it isn't, um, you know, bent grass uh, rough Bermuda grass is very confusing. So even though it, they're going to lop it down to perhaps four inches, Bermuda rough is a lot more difficult to judge and to you know to have Bermuda gra- grass on the West Coast is just weird. It's mm. not normal. Mm. So I think it's going to be a, a bit confusing and a bit difficult. It's going to be interesting to see just how difficult it's going to be how to play out of this Bermuda grass rough. What makes it tougher? Is it thick ball sits wiry. down? It's very wiry. Oh, no, Bermuda yeah. grass is a hot weather grass. Right. You know Texas, Florida, all, all through the South. So it thrives in that. Uh, but it's very unusual to be on the West Coast. But it just it's a broader yeah. leaf. And um, and rough grass in Riviera is even firmer. It's it's a uh, more wiry, so uh, it's a little confusing. West Coast people really have a hard time adapting to it, learning how to play out of Bermuda, whether it be rough or Bermuda fairways or Bermuda greens as well. So uh, that's going to be something you should uh, focus in on and, and and see what happens. Well, I tell you what, I, I've played the course twice, and I never saw the fairway. So um, and and it, both days were wet. And that yeah. Bermuda, when it gets wet, oh my God, it was 
it was tough on an old guy like me. I'll tell you that for sure. So, Hey, we got to talk about Especially when the golf course is, uh, when it's very firm too. And, you know, if you do get lies that you can get a club on, very unpredictable, (laughs) um, as Oak said. So I think we're going to see some very difficult conditions around greens. Guys that have that knowledge in Bermuda grass uh, with their short game, I think is going to play a huge advantage for those guys. We have to talk about the merger, boys. You know, it's uh, it's a week ago now, and of course. The, the the golf world was shocked. I mean, if, if the players didn't know, I'm sure that you two didn't know either what was going on. That, that must have been a, a strange thing. What do you, what do you make of it, Richard? Richard? Well, gosh, I think that um, it was a shocking announcement um, in sports. Uh, it began as a hostile takeover, in my opinion, and. Um, you know, even though the PGA Tour had a strong position through the process of the court cases in the arbitration case in 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 uh, in, in the UK and the Ninth <laughs> District Court in California, things were going well. It was as it turned out. Um, you know, the PGA Tour, given how they had to proceed in the path they chose with with uh, creating these designated events in this increased purses, they put themselves on an unsustainable path. And I think the independent directors on the PGA Tour policy board, who know a lot better about this than Jay, and the $50 million they spent on legal bills to date, and the process moving forward, it became very clear, very clear that they weren't going to win this. The long game that the Saudis were playing and their ability and their fund that they have in the PIF there is just uh, they they their game plan. They, I think they stick handled the PGA Tour into a corner, and uh, they absolutely um, would would bleed them out financially. And I think the PGA Tour, as it had to survive, capitulated, and now it's called a merger. So you know the turn of events has happened in in, in professional golf as well. Golf is a niche sport, and they're looking for the capital in which to get paid by the bigger sports. Uh, uh, the TV ratings don't support that. And I think this is in an effort to, for professional golf to move forward, this had to happen. Question in my mind, I guess there's a lot of questions unanswered as we all know. Um, do you think live continues? Do you think Uh, there will be a live tour next year? I think there'll be some aspects of lives platform that will exist. Would it, what it functions under we don't know yet i i think the team aspect was too big of a play for live to give that up and i think that if the pga tour took that on um how that fits into the schedule we have no idea Um, but i think it'd be great for the game of golf and i think this is how the rory mcelroy's of the world are going to get paid they're going to get paid to be on those particular teams. Do they play a four event schedule? Is it a six event? Is it go to four? I don't know. It can't be 14, obviously, if they're going to allow these guys to come back onto the PGA tour and, and the DP world tour. We don't know what that looks like either, but, um, but I think Zoke is right. I think, I think the big play on all of this here was when Tiger and Rory decided to call that meeting in Delaware, yeah. Players only, by the way, players only. These guys are not businessmen. And what they wanted, they wanted to make sure that they were getting paid in some way, shape or form. They were pissed off that 
guys were playing the live tour, not only getting paid, but paying, you know, four and a half million dollars for first place every week. Right. That aggravated them. And they went to the tour. They went back to Jay and they said to Jay, do this, figure this out. And this is where the elevated events, they did not understand what the sort of ramifications of spending money like that was against the lawsuit. Okay. Right. Which is going to expose the tour to ultimately a bankrupt position at some point in time. Right. So the smart man in the room had to step in and go, you know, boys, go back to your positions and let us take care of this. And this is where this came out of. And I, I like the, you know, sort of the fact that this started as a merger. We're using the term merger. The PGA tour has now walked it back and said, it's a partnership. No, this is a merger. And when the merger happens, we know, the shark eats the fish eventually. Exactly. And um, we will wait to see what this looks like. And yep. if it is the shark eating the fish, it's going to be Piff running the PGA Tour. That's eventually. what a merger is. You're absolutely That's right. That's what a merger Nate. is. Let's be clear about that. They're well, trying to spin it like, oh, we're in this together. They're not in this together. This is, you know, the Saudi regime trying to use sports to change their culture. Will it work? I don't know. We'll wait and see. This is years in the making. But I think we got to understand that this, who's going to have control of this in the end is still to be seen. What the schedule looks like, and going back to your original uh, question, Bob, is does Liv survive? We'll wait to see. It's going to have to survive in some way, shape, or form because the Saudis are not giving up on their original concept. And I think that concept of team lends itself to betting and betting leads itself to the tour making more money. I get it. The, the two things that happen with Liv that, that I'm watching to see whether they are folded into the PGA tour in any way or whatever, whatever the tour looks like after all this happens. So are we looking at 54 hole events as opposed to 72 hole events? Are we looking at trying to get everybody to tee off at the same time? rather than, you know, as they do now from 7 o'clock in the morning till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. What do you think about those two factors? Well, you know, what I think, uh, before we even talk about what the events are going to be, we have to see if this is going to survive. Now, first of all, now there's a meeting and an, uh, an announcement. They're going to sign a, an agreement in another couple of days. Basically, what this is, is a memorandum of understanding that's building out the framework. Right. Before... So, and it's going to take over a year at least to figure out those, what you just asked there, Bob, what is it going to yeah. be? How is it going to be funded? That's going to be at a year from now. Then that must be passed by the PGA Tour Policy Board. And then the real stinky fish on the table right now is it's going to have to go through the Department of Justice and the Federal Trade Commission. And it, I believe there's a likelihood or a, at least a good possibility that the Federal Trade Commission and their anti-competitiveness, it's got to pass that. So I think it was uh, last August when um, 11 live players filed an antitrust lawsuit that and, 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 and went to the DOJ, Department of Justice in the United States. They started an inquiry. Just because there's this merger, this inquiry is not going to stop. And it could be a problem like calling artillery on your own position. Because right. when this deal comes in and, and, and gets ratified by uh, and because and, 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 they, they're looking at national security issues, 
like keep in mind, Saudi Arabia is not a friend of the United States and neither is China. And, and, and there's this big concern that foreign entities that are owning assets in the United States could be a national security issue. I got the it. Saudis are playing a long game. And in 20 years, the way this is being structured, that they have this exclusive right to invest in everything in, uh, that's going to be involved in this merger means they're going to own everything. Yeah. So quick, I know we got to go, but quickly, what happens to Jay Monahan? What happens to Greg Norman? Well, I think Jay, Jay, you know, has protected himself. Now, you got to remember, he works now for Yasher. If this deal goes through, he works for him. So Jay's sort of protected himself. And I think, you know, it's funny, you know, all the media talking heads were, you know, Eamon Lynch is making a comment. We'll see when the players vote on this. Zoka's on the PGA Tour a lot longer than I, but, I've, you know, in 10 years on the PGA Tour, Players I didn't have no vote say. for anything. <laughs> players have no. There say. is no vote. Let's be clear right. about that. Right. <laughs> so there are no players voting on whether they want to play on live or not. That'll be done through the through the board, and they'll make that decision on behalf of the players. So you know, if the players want to revolt and get rid of Jay, they've got that ability to do that. Um, uh, so Greg Norman, I think, goes away um, because it, there's not going to be Jay Monahan and Greg Norman in the room. I can promise you that. So yeah, I, I think agree. Greg goes away, and I think we got that uh, very clear from yeah. Yasser in his press conference and when they he got asked, to, you know, where does Greg Norman stand, and he kind of bumbled on it and didn't know what to say. So I, I think that those two people, I think Jay survives, to be honest with you. Um, and I think that um, once this whole thing rolls out, if it's in the best interest of the players and the players are getting paid what they deserve to be paid, then I think Jay looks like a hero and Jay moves on. Greg Norman is, I, I really believe, isn't going to survive. I, I don't think Norman's going to survive. I don't think Jay Monahan's going to survive. I think there, there, there will in good possibly there will be create a players union. The players are going to need to have a yeah. seat at the table to negotiate their interests. Right now, all the players are fractured. They need to unite. Um, yeah. I, I think that Jay Monahan, the moment he did the 180 degree reversal, I think. I mean, you just listen to what John Rahm spoke about yesterday at the U.S. Open. Um, you know, he, he feels so many players feel betrayed right, yeah. by, Jay, exactly. by Jay Monahan, and I think that commissioner or that person who's going to be under His Excellency Yashir El Ramayan is going to have to have the faith of the players, and I think Jay Monahan has just lost the faith of the players. Guys, we got to get out of here. Uh, Richard, Ian, thank you very much. As always, fascinating. We could talk for another hour at least. But we Good have to be with you. Time. Thank you. We'll talk to Thank you, you soon. Guys. Enjoy the U.S. Open. We'll be back after this message. When was the last time everyone agreed on what's for dinner? You want Chinese food, they want pizza, and someone is always craving froyo. Well, there's something for everyone on DoorDash. Ordering is easy. Open up the DoorDash app, choose what you want from where you want, and your items will be left safely outside your door with our default contactless delivery setting. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. 
when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BOBCAST23. That's 25% off, up to $10 in value, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BOBCAST23. Don't forget, that's code BOBCAST23 for 25% off of your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. Uh, we are back, and our thanks again to uh, Richard Sokol, Ian Leggett, for being with us uh, today. Um, I know you watched the hockey game last night. Mm. Uh, does it mean anything special that Vegas managed to win sixth year in the National Hockey League, and they won a champion? This is their second trip to the, the final, and they won a championship. Uh, n- not. I mean, I think by six years, you know, the the Oilers won in five. I think uh, the Philadelphia won in seven. Um, you know, I, I, so it wasn't well, all that unusual. No, and and the thing is, is that what what is unusual about it was that Vegas has become a mainstream hockey town. That's it has. The, and and you know, we all kind of maybe you didn't, but we all kind of scoffed when the franchise was awarded, and we thought no, Gary, I was I was with you on that. I did not and, think and it Gary, would be we, successful. We, we thought Gary was out of his gourd. Uh, to uh, to 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 buy into Bill Foley's dream of a of a team there, uh, but they did a mar- they've done a marvelous job from the expansion draft on, you know. And our friend McVie deserves a, a ton of credit for that. He's he's been the the common thread through all this. Sure, yes. You know, I, I could only think what he was uh, feeling on the ice, talking to some of those guys that have been there with day one. Mark Stone last night talked about the culture of being a golden knight and how important those six players that were there from the misfits from year one, how important they were to the success of, of what has gone on in Vegas. And that to me is really the story. Yeah. It's not a story about a non-traditional hockey market. It's about how these people have built a culture there and how to win and and what, and how much fun it is to go to a game there, Bob. Well, I look at you. You're talking to a guy who's been to games there and who was be, was a fan of the uh, the Golden Knights in year one on day one. But I must say, I think I think players around the NHL look at Vegas now and think, you know, that's a place I would go if I had the opportunity. Well, they they listen. Mark Stone wanted to go there at the trade from Ottawa. Alex Petrangelo. Signed there as a free agent. He talked about it when he was on with us uh, last year. Uh, they have made it um, such an attractive place to go to in in so many ways. I know, you know? and well, it's and, a good it, place it, to play. They they like management. They like the way things yeah. are done. The, and the, you know, I lived there, so I know what living there is like. It's a great place to live. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about it tomorrow a little bit more. We got Bruce Boudreau on. I mean, he can dissect it and 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 what it's like to play there and and be there and what it's like to to win and lose in the Stanley yep. Cup playoffs. We'll do that. Uh, we look forward to it. We thank you for watching or listening. Uh, for John Shannon, Bob McCallum, we'll see you tomorrow. Goodbye, everyone. Mm-hmm.